Hello, Nintendo fans. Andy is out with a health issue, which we hope he will recover from quickly, so I will be your host tonight. My name is Andrew, and I am joined with me by our regular co-host, Tori Wassenaar. Tori, how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty cold, actually, but otherwise good. Why are you cold? It's Australia. Isn't it supposed to be hot there? <laughs> I live in the cold part of Australia. Oh, is that like just like a one square mile, just like in one one tiny patch that nobody ever goes to? It's just one particular city, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, that's good to know. Nice to know that Australia isn't just a flaming biome like I imagine it is in my head. That's the other nine months. Everything I know about Australia, I know from that Simpsons episode, uh, Crocodile Dundee, and Outback Steakhouse commercials. Yeah, that's... There's a, there's a lot more to it, but not <laughs> a lot. That, maybe not that much. Yeah. Is, is Foster's beer just considered piss over there? Oh, yeah, we don't drink that here. We export yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Send us all your garbage. Go ahead. <laughs> you get our blooming onions, which I have never had. They don't exist here. <laughs> we only have them at state fairs and at crappy restaurants here. So blooming onions, Foster's beer, and Paul Hogan. Thanks. Thanks very much, Australia. This is why we mock you. <laughs> don't think there's any... Uh, Nintendo news this week. Is, is there anything we don't have anything listed you can think of at the last minute? No, I don't think anything happened. Okay, I, I think this will be a relatively short episode for you all this week then. So let's move on to what we played this week. So first up, uh, I think the big release this week, uh, certainly in terms of infamy, is going to be Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, which Tori has played for us. So Tori, why don't you go ahead and walk us through uh, this delightful story about an after-school reading club. That's what they want you to think. Uh, so quick disclaimer, if you're not comfortable with sensitive topics around mental health and self-harm, skip ahead. This is a horror game at heart. Um, they've kind of dropped the pretense of pretending that this is just a cute dating sim and this time around all of their advertising has been a lot more this is a psychological horror game be warned it's not funny tricking people anymore i think especially because now that they're charging money because this was originally a free game on pc i think it still is yeah it is actually this release it is and isn't different it's a interesting scenario. The original game is still there. It's pretty much untouched. They've uh, ported the entire thing to Unity because that's that's how you do uh, a port on every console because this has come out on everything, Switch, Xbox, and PlayStation, as well as uh, PC again. So there are some parts of the game that kind of require you to dig in the file system of the game. This time around, because you're playing on console, you can't do that because that's a that's a big no no. They've actually have a sort of virtual machine, virtual desktop sort of situation going on, so you can exit the game and. Well, part of this enhanced port is that you, by playing the game, unlock uh, a music for a music player and pictures that are kind of tied to in-game achievements, and that's also accessed through the desktop. But before I get too ahead of myself, the, the meat of the game, so it is very much a dating sim facade. The first act of the game 
pretty much plays out I mean I haven't played a visual novel like this before so I can't really make an informed claim that this is exactly what a visual novel would be like but it's designed to emulate the experience where your character that you name is brought into join an after school club based around literature uh, reading literature and writing poetry which becomes the club activity the club it's full of cute anime girls so Ooh, part of the favorite. conceit is yeah everyone's favorite so there's four girls there's sayori who is like a childhood friend of the main character there's the very cute but don't ever say it to her face natsuki uh you have the quiet and elegant yuri and the leader of the club monica who is a glaring omission from one of the possible dating choices of the game boo so at the end of each day you write a poem to share with the others in the club but you have to <laughs> pick words that kind of would appeal to these different characters you you can pick the the happy stuff for sayori who's kind of like a cheerful spirit you can pick the cute stuff for Natsuki, or you can pick the more complex words for Yuri. Each word has like a sort of hidden score value to kind of dictate who this poem is going to appeal to most. Uh, and that kind of dictates who you spend time with the next day as well, which with each character having their own sort of side plot. So you, the decisions that you make in the game kind of influence who you spend the most time with. After the first act, it all goes a bit off rails. You'll know exactly the moment when things are going to get weird. With it, it's it's tough to talk about without spoiling any of the surprises, but basically something's going on, something's not right, the game is breaking, and a lot of those breaks kind of add to this unsettling atmosphere it's a really unique form of horror that I haven't really seen before in a in anything, not just a game, but movies or TV or fiction in general. Because <laughs> it, it messes with you as the player rather than messing with the main character. Uh, if, you, if you like being unsettled rather than scared, because there are some jump scares, but it's it's more about the, the feeling. It, it's fantastic, but it's... Not for everyone either. Uh, but this time around, they have side stories. So playing the main game will unlock these side stories that show the formation of the literature club. Uh, none of these mm. side stories actually have any scares to them. It all happens well before the main game. So they're, they're just pure stories that show the interactions between each of the characters. Uh, there's six total, and they're each split into two parts, and then there's like a sort of epilogue once you complete them all. Hmm. I was a little disappointed that they weren't playing with that horror aspect to it, because there, there are some ideas that they could have done, I feel, again, that I can't go into without spoiling the surprises, but yeah, they're, they're really just exploring the characters which actually kind of makes the main story a little bit sad in retrospect puts the the relationship between the characters in a, a new light uh, and other than that there's some sort of deep lore stuff 
I, I know not everyone likes that word, lore. Yeah. Dark Souls has <laughs> ruined lore. <laughs> it tries to explain why things are off. The, the kind of gives some backstory to why this is a visual novel and uh. why things go off the rails. There were hints of it in the original release, but you don't see them unless you go hunting for them. Like with the character files, if you change the extension of the character files, you could open them as an image or as a text document or whatever, and they had secrets. Uh, this time around, it's a lot more... Well, it's a lot less subtle about what they're trying to say. It's still a little confusing. I don't know the full picture yet. I don't know if they're setting up for a sequel or if they're just trying to flesh out the world a bit more. I, I really can't say, but... Well, having not played this... Uh generally the worst thing you can do is over explain something so <laughs> i'm a little concerned to hear that the over explaining is still really vague so hmm. i don't know i'm of two minds about it i don't think it needed it i think it still definitely had its charm of being vague enough to kind of give you a vague idea of what's going on without being explicitly these people are doing this thing if they're setting up for a sequel of some sort, whether or not that's going to be a, a Doki Doki Literature Club sequel or some sort of, you know, Cloverfield thing where it's a completely different story <laughs> in the same universe. I was just thinking about J.J. Abrams, actually, where uh, something <laughs> something is explained, but then you're just like, well, now I have more questions. <laughs> yeah. That did not help me at all, J.J. Thanks, J.J. Now, these side stories, are they integrated into the main plot, or are they, do they, like, extend the game and, you know, fatten up the game, or is it still the core game that it was on PC and this stuff is, like, off to the side on a different menu? How does that work? It's expanding the the world that that's the conceit of the game. Mm. So, it's expanding the, the in-game character's lore rather than the part that breaks the fourth wall. So it, it directly, like the first side story is Monica starting the club and Sayori joining the club just because she saw Monica all alone in the club room having a sulk. Uh, and then, you know, Yuri and Natsuki also come in and join and they all have their sort of conflicts. It is, it's really sweet. Like they they go into some more of the, the mental health sort of stuff about depression and isolation and toxic friendships but it isn't done to set you up for being scared or uncomfortable it's done to genuinely connect these characters and um make you feel for mm. them a lot more make them seem more like real characters and not just pawns in a game that's deliberately manipulating the player exactly yeah um, there's no choices, there's no player choices, it's really just the visual novel where you're just kind of pressing A and reading a conversation. Is it voiced or is it all text? It's still all text. Oh, that's too bad. Well, uh, and how long is it, like, altogether with all the new content and everything? How about how long would it take to play through? Well, your first playthrough, I'd say probably like five to six hours for the main game and then maybe two to three for the side stories total. Wow, that's actually, that's pretty good. That's a lot longer than I was expecting. 
Uh, I ask all these questions because I am getting the physical version of this, but it's not till, out till the end of August, so I'm kind of uh, pre-planning how I'm going to approach it. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily there's also replay value if you want to unlock everything, which mm. I definitely did. And luckily there is a skip function for the dialogue, so if you want to get to the parts where it branches, mm-hmm. you can skip to it and then do it. It won't let you skip through new dialogue, which I found interesting. It'll kind of like hard stop. And it's a neat way of kind of going, hey, don't skip past this part that you haven't seen yet. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. But it seems to double up. So sometimes it was kind of halting me on stuff that I had read before. Just I think it's under a new context. Um, The second act of the game is really trippy. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's why. Because sometimes it'll lead into something about the game breaking and sometimes it'll just be the game acting as normal up until the next sort of breaking moment. It sounds a lot like the uh, bad ending in, in Undertale to me. <laughs> well, there, there is a secret true ending in this as well that requires a lot of saving and loading. Mm. To give you a, a hint, before you reach a certain moment in the Act 1, uh, hit save and then load before the first poem game and try and court a different girl. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But keep each sort of uh, girl as a separate save uh-huh. and then move on. I, I think uh, I see uh, what you're saying, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil everything, but <laughs> is, yeah, it track, I, is it tracking all your saves collectively is what I'm thinking. Sort of. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. There, there are two main endings. There's a good and a bad ending. You'll probably hit the bad ending if you don't go out of your way mm-hmm. to, you know, make everyone happy at the start. That's as it should be. So, Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to give a hint without getting too into it, you definitely want to check out both endings. They're both entertaining. <laughs> when you say it's six to seven hours, are you talking about following every character's path, or is that just one character's path? That's just one character's path. Oh, shit. But, um, <laughs> that's that's the, long. <laughs> the first act of the game is really long, because it's really trying to convince you that this is a real game. Yeah. So that first part's probably about two or three hours if you take the time to read everything slowly and and take your time with the poem game oh boy (laughs) i wonder if i'm going to be able to uh, even get through this game (laughs) it's a lot of reading definitely go and expecting a lot of reading i don't know it's entertaining dialogue as well though it's well written Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it's trying so hard to be a visual novel that it convincingly does it I mean, with my experience of it, at least, that you start forgetting that it's a horror game and you start getting invested with the characters. Even though I've played this before, I still found myself just loving to listen to the characters and what they had to talk about again. It's a really strange experience. Well, that's great. Do you you recommend it? Like, who do you recommend it for? I'd recommend it, obviously, horror fans first. This is like a meta-horror experience. But I think you'd get a lot more out of it if you're familiar with uh, anime and visual novel tropes. Ugh. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary, though. My favorite. <laughs> it, it pokes fun at it. It pokes holes all throughout it. It's not a love letter to anime by far. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know, was this, uh, like, did, did a Japanese person make this or did somebody from another 
culture make this? Do you know? So it's, as far as I know, I, I believe American. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Salvato. Okay. Um, he, you may have heard of the Project M project. I just redundantly said project. Oh, I'm so disappointed it's not actually called Project M Project. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, project M was a mod for uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee. Oh, yeah, that thing. That added a lot more content and mm-hmm. and stuff to it. So the person, well, one of the people, Dan Savardo, who worked on that, made this. Well, that's a, that's a change of, of career course there, I guess. Uh if you can call, you know, modding games oh, and yeah. making free-to-play games a career. It's a sharp 90 degrees. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but that sounds interesting. Uh, I'll be playing that. I don't, I don't know if I'm really going to have much to say about it because, you know, <laughs> we've already we've already spoiled the big twist, and I, I do think that's that's too bad if, if you missed it when it was new. Yeah. Yeah, that that there there was something special about being there when you didn't know what was about to happen, and you know, and all, all the the features on PC, which they just have to kind of emulate on consoles, that it, it's just less convincing there. But it could still less be a good convincing. Time. I think this is a release for fans of the original game, because mm-hmm. um, the, the original game's in there untouched. It's just added content to it and a new way to to play it for potentially new players but they're not going to have the same experience as yeah as the first release well that's good to know so you can go in in, informed based on this now so i feel bad for tricking people to going oh yeah this is a lovely game you'll (laughs) love it because it does deal with some very sensitive topics i think it does it quite well in service of the story and uh and the atmosphere Mm -hmm. but it's still going to be upsetting for some people so I think that's why this time around, especially because they're charging money for it, they have to be like, "This is a psychological horror game." Yeah, that was that would be a problem. Like, there's something to be said for you know it being fresh and new, and the surprise catching you in, in the free to play release when when people didn't know what this was. But when you're charging money for it, and also there is legitimate concern of potentially harming people with some of what's in this game. Uh, when you're yeah. just springing that unbeknownst onto them in, in what previously appeared to be a, a pretty well-trod and uh, familiar and typical and all those other words I love to use, words that describe uh, video games that y- y- you could you could call them derivative if you were trying to be mean to them. <laughs> yeah, but this is going to be one of those games like Undertale where people are going to try and copy mm-hmm. that formula because it's a good formula it can be refined for sure but nothing's going to have that same impact as this when it first came out so be warned good game but uh (laughs) stuff's coming and probably not a release aimed at newcomers this is for the fans and uh if you didn't catch this when who was new you've kind of missed your moment and that's just the way it is too bad too bad yeah so next up, we're going to be talking about uh, Ender Lilies, Quietus of the Knights, and Quietus means a mass and slow death, if you're, if you're wondering. Uh, oh. I was supposed to play Tony Hawk this week, but as, as, as I've alluded to in the past, I, I do live in Oregon, and uh, we had a, a bit of a heat problem here in the past week. So my package was lost in the mail, because I'm sure they had more important things they were 
were worrying about probably up to and including just not coming into work so that way uh, they didn't die of heat stroke which is totally fine uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll get Tony Hawk later on when they find the package or when they replace it whatever do whatever is safest for you guys delivery people and uh, I played this game instead which was available digitally on the eShop uh, Ender Lilies is my favorite genre it's an adventure platformer it's a, it's a Metroid game which Tori is playing through the Metroid series, so <laughs> you already know what to oh, expect yeah. from it. Uh, it's set in an open side-scrolling world. You explore it and you unlock new abilities like a double jump and the ability to uh, move underwater that opens up the map and lets you explore more areas. And if you explore the extra hidden areas, then you find new abilities that make the character you know stronger in combat and hit point upgrades and other upgrades that in increase the number of times you can use your special abilities. It's not breaking any new ground in this regard. It is an adventure platformer. That's what it sets out to be, and uh, it is that. Exactly. <laughs> there is no variation or really any originality here of any kind. So if you're into these games, then I can tell you right up front, Andrew Lilly's delivers, and uh, if you have no interest in this, these kind of games, Andrew Lilly's is not going to change your mind. Uh, it's set in a world that was afflicted by like a blight, and there are these girls called white priestesses who can do something uh, to tend to the people who get affected by this blight and uh the, the blight is actually spread by rain so almost everywhere you go in this game it is raining <laughs> and at the start of the game uh, things are not going great in this kingdom because everybody seems to be afflicted by the blight because something happened with these priestesses that seem to make them die off or get corrupted or something happened to them i haven't found out yet and if I do find out, I wouldn't say it because that would be a spoiler. I don't want to ruin it for everybody. But there is one who's asleep in a room and she gets woken up by one of these guardian spirits because there are a number of people in this kingdom who train to be the guardians of these white priestesses. And they've all died or been corrupted as well. <laughs> so one of them finds the last white priestess who is asleep in this room, who is this very young girl. She's eight, maybe ten years old. And that's who actually you play as. And what makes Ender Lilies unique in some extent is uh, this character doesn't actually do any fighting. Just a lot of running and jumping. And all the fighting is done by the spirits that you unlock. You start off with your your guardian knight spirit who lets you do some sword attacks. And when you attack, like the knight appears out of thin air and attacks for her. And she kind of flinches away. So that's a, an interesting sort of way of doing the player character. I haven't really actually quite seen anything quite like that in any other video game, so I do have to compliment it for that. And as you go through the game and, you know, you defeat bosses, the bosses can all be absorbed as spirits, and in quite a few places throughout the game I've actually found basically sub-bosses, which are harder versions of standard enemies, and when you defeat them, then you can absorb those spirits as well and add their abilities to your repertoire. You can equip up to three abilities at a time, there's not any way that you're required to use these abilities. Like, if I want to equip all of the standard attack abilities at once, then I can. Or if I just want to equip nothing but support skills, then I can. So you can you can create some pretty interesting 
loadouts here, and you can equip two at a time and just switch between them with the press of a shoulder button. Uh, right now I have you know, a melee and a stronger melee attack and uh, a counterattack on my first loadout. My second loadout is all ranged attacks, which I'm sure is very boring, but it, it, it serves me well. It's a pretty straightforward skill set. You know, you, you, you can find pickups that let you enhance these skills as well at save points, so that way you can make them stronger, you know, deal more damage, reduces their cooldowns, and uh, re- increases the number of times that you can use them, because only your, your basic attacks have unlimited uses. So it, it's got kind of an interesting skill system. That That is really what makes Ender Lily stand on its own. Where I'm having difficulty with the game is the level design. The level design is really bland there's not a whole lot to compliment on it like literally it looks like they've just drawn super plain levels on a piece of paper there's a lot of right angles everywhere and then over the top of this general level design they've just put decorations so that way each area you know looks unique you know there's been like a a broken down town and then I, i found this other place called like the, the coven that is flooded with a lot of water and uh, is kind of in this this forest area and then i found the catacombs you know <laughs> uh, n- not really breaking any ground in, in terms of fantasy environments here either like i said uh, it does its job as an adventure platformer but the environment is really just not interesting to explore or be in unless you really like adventure platformers and are looking for another one to to play through and tick off your list like me i'm always down for a new adventure platformer so i'll play one even a, a bland one or a, a boring one or even one i don't like i'll, I'll play it anyway <laughs> and uh, I, i'm not gonna go that far in ender lilies i'm not gonna say i don't like it but it, it's not as special as i was really hoping it would be so i'll stick with it i'll finish it but it's a pretty tentative thumbs up from me uh it comes with a lot of caveats and i would say Metroid super fans only should apply here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say some of the original Metroid games also had that same bland level design. Yeah. So I'm not terribly surprised. Well, th- this genre has just been built on so much in the past year. Like every other indie game for a long time was an adventure platformer. So there's a lot of past games that, that the new ones have to compete with now. Like a Hollow Knight is the obvious one and the level design in hollow knight is incredible and like there's games like guacamelee who have really interesting level design as well a really distinct look and then you have a game like ender lilies which it just looks cheap to be quite frankly honest about it i i haven't looked into this game's development and publishment his publishing history too much but i suspect this was a cell phone game at some point so <laughs> yeah i'm i'm I've been looking at screenshots and a couple trailers while you were talking about it. It They must be cherry-picking because it doesn't look too bad to me, but I can kind of see what you're talking about still. Yeah, the, the characters are, are pretty good, especially the ones that you see a lot. The bosses look good, and I, um, the, the player character looks good, and the spirits look pretty good. And I think there actually are 3D modeled characters but even though the whole game is seen from a side view but when you just play the game for an extended period of time and you look at these level designs and how everything is just so flat 
and square and just has decorations overlaid on top of it. And then you look at the animations on a lot of the enemies that are really limited and jerky. Oftentimes looks like the only thing that's actually animated on them is their joints and everything else just stays perfectly flat. It, it looks cheap. And games are made on budgets, especially indie games. So that that's not a complaint, but it, it's a criticism. Yeah, that's fair. There's nothing wrong with the way the game plays. It's actually quite responsive. Visually, you know, I just have to say, it looks cheap. Certainly not a knock yeah. against it, but it, it's not a, a plus in its favor either. I, I feel like the art style in particular kind of... The, when I started looking at it, I thought maybe it was like a roguelite or something like that as well. Yeah. It, like, it's or not... even something Dark Souls-y. It does have the Dark Souls, like, progression systems. You, you, you sit on benches, and uh, when you die, you go back to the last bench. When you sit on a bench, your life comes back, and all the enemies you've killed respawn. So it has those systems in it, but... Okay. So many games use those now, and I just I don't even like saying, this is a Dark Souls game, because... Dark Souls is an action RPG. I mean, <laughs> it's not as special as people make it out to be. It's an action RPG. So uh, I just, I'm very hesitant to even acknowledge that Souls likes are a thing. But that that's my baggage. So go ahead and do it if you want. I don't care. It, it looks more Metroidy to me, it, just looking at yeah. it. Yeah. Really, like, if we want to be that lazy, it's not a Dark Souls game. It's a Hollow Knight game. It, it really is a really cheap hollow knight really <laughs> i wonder if that's it well we're just talking about how indie games kind of spur the the copycat sounds like it's such a harsh word but i don't know what else to call it where a game finds success and then everyone kind of goes i like that idea but i would do it this way yeah and then it just turns out to not be too different well, I mean, and video games are a business so when something works other people are going to do it too so you can call things a copycat, but that's really more a commentary on the industry than on the creative oh, yeah. process. So <laughs> I, I I play a lot of adventure platformers. I play a lot of indie adventure platformers. I'm always delighted to play them. So I don't call them copycats because I know exactly what I'm getting into. I know they're all based on Metroid. This is this is a known element, a known quantity of these games. It's, it's not even worth talking about. But And I mean, the indie scene kind of perfected the mm-hmm. Metroid formula anyway so yeah it's like i said a few episodes back i haven't i haven't played a metroid game that i would actually rate all that highly except for metroid prime which uh is a 3d game so it doesn't even apply to this conversation because <laughs> yeah. uh, the indie games have just so thoroughly eclipsed metroid and even most of what castlevania has done there are still a few castlevania games i would i would rate near the top yeah i gotta explore the castlevania side of the metroidvania Frankenstein genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Konami uh, has rated. How do I how do how do I want to phrase this? Uh, there have been ratings in countries, including South Korea, which is usually an early hotspot for uh, games that are about to be announced uh, for a Castlevania Advance Collection, which uh, is either going to be my prediction. Circle of the Moon and Harmony of Dissonance. Circle of the Moon is fantastic. Harmony of Dissonance is a 5 out of 10 game. Uh, And maybe Aria of Sorrow, which would be, I would rate it as the best Castlevania game. It's it's better than Symphony of the Night. I think you should get that if it it turns out to be something that is released anytime soon here and isn't just Konami renewing trademarks. You never know with Konami. Yeah. 
It would not surprise me at all. Like I, I, I would barely roll my eyes if they released the Castlevania Advance Collection and it's a pachinko machine. I wouldn't even be surprised <laughs> at this point with Konami. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I hope more people listen to our podcast, but I hope Konami aren't listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they also apparently are, are contracting Bloober Team to make a new Silent Hill. So maybe they are... Yeah putting back into video games but also like we're giving konami a pretty hard time here but as i said video games are a business and konami clearly decided at some point that they liked gambling machines more than electronic video games which that is konami's business to do that kind of business that's that's their prerogative and we can we can make fun of them all we want but we're just dumb gamers spending money and they're the mega company trying to survive in a very competitive market that's way it goes so number three this week is going to be lego builder's journey which is the second game tori has played so tori why don't you go ahead and tell us about that one Alrighty, this was originally an apple arcade release i believe the credits for this actually say that apple produced it so i was very surprised that it left that platform and it hit uh off the top of my head pc and switch i don't know about console it's a puzzle game of sorts it's it's a really bizarre thing to try and describe it's got a loose narrative it starts you off pretty simple with you just collecting a couple of bricks to build a little castle um sand castle that is and then it starts introducing more and more not so much complex things like at the end of the day this is just a game about picking up lego bricks and putting it from one place to another to solve a puzzle and that puzzle can be moving your little character across the screen from one place to another, or it can be solving puzzles that kind of open up doors and help you progress. Uh, Each, I guess you call it a room, it's kind of like a little diorama, a little Lego diorama, where you get given a certain amount of Lego bricks to try and solve a puzzle. As far as gameplay goes, I, I feel like I'm talking in circles, but that's literally the whole game. It's just picking up bricks, putting them in a place... It's simple, but that doesn't mean it's bad because the story that it tells and it tells it without any dialogue, uh, it Mm. doesn't tell it with any facial expressions. The characters aren't minifigs. The little brick built one by one sort of minimalist abstract representations of, a, I believe, a father and a son. And the game is basically the father and son kind of moving through the world at the start, the son following the dad's footsteps you get given these little, they're called jumper tiles. So it's, a tile is like one third of the height of a Lego brick. So the, it's a one by two and the jumper has it in the middle instead of two studs on top. It just has the one in the middle. And you're given these, they're either yellow or golden jumper tiles that you move and your character will jump between them as you place them. But you can only place them on studs, and it's a very limited selection of where these studs are actually going to appear for you to kind of plonk it down and it'll move from one to the other, and then you pick up the other one. You know that episode of Community where they're playing The Floor is Lava? And they they got the chairs, and they put the chair down, and they jump onto that chair, and then they pick up the other one and kind of move it, and they kind of inchworm that way. That's how I get across That's... water in Breath of the Wild, but yes. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know if there's like a, a, a word for that specific concept, but that's Leap basically frogging. how you play this game. 
leapfrogging, that might do. It starts to get a little bit more complex. As you, you get back home, the father is kind of called to go to work and the son, a little disappointed, is left to his own devices and gets in trouble. He falls kind of into the underbelly of this factory where the dad's working and he's just trying to make his way through with his little robotic pal. While the dad is just stuck at work placing uh, slopes on bricks and it's definitely meant to be a sort of commentary, not unlike the uh, Lego movie. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds an awful lot like the relationship in the Lego movie. <laughs> yeah. I really hope this isn't the only story that Lego knows how to tell in terms of Legos for creativity. You can build it this way or you can build it that way. Well, I also latched on to what you said about uh, the dad attaching slopes to Lego pieces. So Lego in their own game is portraying the act of constructing like a, a Lego set as drudgery, like a nine to five job you hate. That's a... A weird angle. <laughs> it, it was a particular task that was just repetitive because it, it brings up a a big plate and there's four empty studs and it gives you the pieces and, and they're like these little tiny pyramid uh, one by one uh, slopes that you just put four of them on and then it goes oh that one's complete and then it just gives you another one and it just puts that on repeat <laughs> and I think that's meant to be. I, it, that came across my mind as well, is that, that this is still Lego. That sounds like the cannery scene in Edith Finch. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> actually, yeah, that's, that's a, another good comparison if you've played either, uh, Edith Finch. That's Which you hard should. To say. Yes. Um, it really strikes me as a sort of indie, it's almost like a walking simulator in terms of uh, how it's structured. But it's this sort of top-down, what's the word, orthogonal? Orthogonal? Mm, it's kind of like on an angle. I, um, you might anyway. be right. I, I, I'm not familiar with that word. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's that sort of, like a lot of RTS games kind of use this particular angle. Where it's like, it's above ground pointing down, but it's kind of rotated 45 degrees. Because hmm. uh, each uh... of the levels in this game... Uh, like a little square diorama. Google says orthogonal means of or involving right angles. Is is isometric the word you think? Isometric, of? probably isometric. Yeah, where it's like a fixed view from a from an it's angle. Like a, o- overhead diagonal. Yeah, so it, it might yeah. not be isometric. Isometric was a, a visual trick they used before. They could really use polygons in games to create quote unquote three D environments. So it's probably not truly isometric but it's it's that kind of idea yeah 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 i think isometric doesn't have vanishing points so there's no perspective whereas this does have actually now i'm not too sure i might be <laughs> tricking myself anyway the the way it's structured is that each room is just one of those sorts of um square tiles from above you can move the camera a little bit but you can't look behind at all unless it kind of switches the view on you i think that happens that once or twice it's not a particularly challenge game uh, challenging game it's not a particularly long game it took me about 90 minutes to complete hmm. uh for the price that it's asking for which i think it's 20 usd and 30 australian dollars wow it's just like lego it's very <laughs> pricey yeah lego does that but uh, lego 
in spite of their pricing, like their their movies have actually been pretty good. Uh, their games are not terrible. Uh, I haven't liked all of them, especially their Star Wars and superhero ones. Those got pretty repetitive after a while. But it was like a Lego Worlds was a like half Minecraft, half what's that space game? Uh, <laughs> not No Man's Sky, is it? Yeah, No Man's Sky. Oh, okay. I always wanted to try Worlds. I got it um, for ten bucks a long time ago, and I, I still haven't played it. <laughs> it's me. What do you expect? <laughs> Limited release and physical, was it? Yeah, that was what I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a tough sell. I know a lot of people kind of put a dollar value on how long a game takes to beat. So I I was like that too. The main reason I got it, I actually got it on PC because it's got the whole RTX ray tracing stuff. And mm. I just wanted to see, because there's something really cool about seeing realistic looking Lego in a video game, or even like in the Lego movie, the way that they did it, with the thumbprints and the imperfections <laughs> that's replicated here in the game as well. It doesn't need the ray tracing. I've looked up what it looks like without ray tracing on switch and, and uh, even PC. It still looks convincingly real. Mm-hmm. So it's got that charm to it, for sure. As much as I loved it, I don't think I can recommend it for the price point. I think this is something, yeah. if you're vaguely interested in, wait for it to go on sale. It is, it's, it's a lovely game still. The Lego games, they usually do get, do get pretty good sales. It just takes a while. Well, the interesting thing is, so the other Lego games that you're referencing, I believe, are published by Warner Brothers. Yeah, which is probably why they get good sales. Yeah, and they're developed by Traveller's Tales, mm -hmm. off the top of my head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This one was actually produced in-house at Lego. Oh, okay. So that uh, they, they physically built the sets that they use, the levels in the game. Uh, they use like the, the Lego CAD program, the digital designer or whatever, and um, like physically built them. That's probably why it costs a bit more, is because the R and D is a little bit more involved, especially yeah. in house. <laughs> These are never. This is never going to go on sale. Like I, I don't begrudge a game for its length, but I do have a hard time spending that much on a game that's only going to last me an hour. And I, I, I do consider it a plus when a game is cheap and it's long. So <laughs> this is this is going in opposite directions both ways. Uh, for how I like to spend my money in video games. It's not, not yeah. great. It's really testing your, your wallet and your sense of value. If it ever does go on sale, though, highly recommend it. It's it's a cute little experience. I think it definitely brought up a lot of conversation about value. It's under the Steam uh, refund <laughs> oh bracket window. Yeah. So you could 100% this game and refund it if you really wanted to. I think they'll flag it though, so I don't recommend doing that because that is abusing their refund system. And also, that's just a really bad precedent. Don't do that. Maybe it'll be on Game Pass someday. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for. I probably should have waited, but I'm a, I've been getting into Lego lately, so I just kind of wanted to to try it out. Good game, hard price to sell it does sound like a nice game i'm just mm, i'm not gonna spend 30 dollars on a game like that no 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 like uh no. if it would be like old man's journey which is another game that you can finish in like an hour and it's just a really nice story that it keeps you engaged but it's not gonna get you stuck and beat you over the head with a really hard puzzle and 
that game costs like 10 bucks, which is perfect. So, <laughs> yeah. I think replayability would have gone a long way for this. It seems mm-hmm. like the engine that they've built for it would have done really well with the sandbox. Maybe it's a testing but, bed for that to come later. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's definitely possible. Uh, the, the, the way that they've done it is that they can just build levels in their CAD program and export it to this engine, and it just puts it all together and adds hmm. the the fingerprints and scratches and everything. They've got a streamlined process. It's just a matter of, will they take it anywhere? Well, with Lego, you never know. Lego, Lego has done some wacky, wacky stuff over the years. <laughs> Yeah, they drop, they're, they're kind of like uh, Google, where they, they find a good thing, and then they just go, well, two years is enough, and they'll drop it, like Lego Dimensions. <laughs> uh, I was thinking as far back as uh, Lego Technics or something, it was like this school engineering program that only lasted for a few years. That was back in the 80s, so <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah, the they still do a lot with um, education, but they've also got like Lego sets for that you can get for the workplace to kind of promote team building and stuff. <laughs> oh. they, they, they're everywhere. <laughs> so I think that's it for this episode. What are you going to be playing in the coming week, Tori? So I just finished Metroid Prime before the, uh, recording this episode, so... I'm going to be playing Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS yeah. as well as Metroid Prime 2. Um, I'm playing with the Wii controls as well. I know everyone's like, yeah, motion controls, but it works oh, really no. well for Metroid Prime. That is the best way to play Metroid Prime. Don't listen to anybody who tells you off for playing the Wii version. Like, the instant yeah. Metroid Prime came out on Wii, the GameCube versions became irrelevant. Exactly. Uh, it adds so much. You are cutting your nose off to spite your face if you intentionally play the GameCube version for any other reason than just interest in the GameCube version. Exactly. But I think Monster Hunter Stories 2, maybe. I'm still on the fence. (laughs) Well, that's the big uh, release next week. I'm getting it. I know Andy is getting it. You know, maybe it won't show up again. (laughs) That's been kind of a problem uh, since I I moved. But (laughs) we'll see. Thanks for listening to this episode of End Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. And you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. And be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. You can find those links in our show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon, and the details for both are on our website. Thank you in advance. This episode was edited by me. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayCritically and read my long-form indie video game reviews at PlayCritically.com. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast, and we do hope that he recovers and rejoins us next week. And Tori is at Stu2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O.
So, so much for a short episode. Oh, well. 